Okay, so like a little recap because we've got a couple weeks off from Max. Okay, we uh, we're in this part of after finishing up Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We are, um, you know, Jesus ascends into heaven, and then we're at the birth of the church, and the Holy Spirit hits the scene in a new way that is um, that it hasn't been before, and um, and we see we just see a change in, in Jesus' disciples as that happens. And then, um, you know, moving on, we, um, we see the practices of the early church. And then in t- finishing up in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we, we learned about how uh, Peter heals this lame man. Peter and John, you know, it's just an ordinary day that they're going up to the temple in the afternoon for their afternoon prayer. And, and there's a lame man there and that is uh, begging for money. And, and they, they give him... Um, Jesus instead of money and so um, you know Peter gets this these opportunities to um, to just to bring the word of God and and to invite people to repent and be converted we see that in chapter 3 and um, I really like that in chapter 3 verse 19 where where in where he says to repent and be converted and I like at the end of that where he says that um so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So we can feel that relief and that the burdens lifted from just this, this repentance of just changing direction, just choosing God instead of ourselves. And now here we are in, in chapter 4, and we're getting to another part of, of history, but it's a part of history that, that still rings out today, and it's, it's the start of persecution in the church. Okay, we're going we're gonna to start out and we're going to see that Peter and John are, are the first to, to get their feet held to the fire and be persecuted for Jesus. And this is, you know, after Jesus um, ascending and to heaven and, and um, leaving the Holy Spirit to empower them. And, and then as we go on, speaking of, of the, the church starting to be persecuted, we'll see in chapter 7... Um, when Stephen gets is the first martyr of the church. And then we go on into chapter 8, and we have Saul of Tarsus, which turns into Paul, of course, where he is doing the persecuting. And he's, you know, having women and children, Christians, killed and, and um, thrown in jail. And then you go on into verse 9, I mean chapter 9, sorry, where, um, where Paul is converted and, and he meets Jesus and Jesus... Um, changes his heart and then that starts Paul's journey of being persecuted as well so we just we see that then in the start of the church as we're in the start of the church learning that and and that still happens today and the Bible says that we will be persecuted for surrendering our lives to Jesus so you guys are you ever feeling pushback for loving Christ, do you, do we feel that today? Does anybody feel that? If we've given our lives to Jesus, then we believe in the Great Commission. We believe in what the Word says and says why we exist. You know, that's the understanding that that we just exist simply to tell every tongue, tribe, and nation, the world, everybody, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
and that gets us right back to the, the persecuted part. Because this conversion as Christians, this new heart, this second birth, it disrupts the status quo in our lives, doesn't it? It changes, it changes the, the, the trajectory that we were on. And that causes disruption. I, like, I can personally remember that myself. I was like, man, I don't want to change. But it's disturbing. Now, I'm not standing here saying what persecution should look like in each and every one of your guys' lives. I have no idea. That's, that's, God will take care of that. So hear that. I'm not saying what it should look like for you guys or for me. I don't even know yet as, as I walk out and I wake up every day with a new breath of air and a new start. Like, I don't know for myself. But I am saying, if you haven't felt any kind of persecution at all, why not? The Bible says that you will be persecuted for the, Jesus. You will be hated. The world hated him. They're going to hate you. I didn't say that. This is a tough one to chew on. It doesn't sound good. We don't like it. But the Bible says it. So if you haven't felt that, why not? It's okay to ask yourself that. This, you know, this new life, this conversion, the second birth, the Great Commission, it, it, should, be, it should be causing these things. Bible says we should be experiencing these things. So, whether you are being persecuted or you're not, or you have or you haven't been, what's this have to do with this point in the text that we're at of Peter and John being persecuted? I'm glad you guys are paying attention and already asking good questions today because I'm going to tell you. It's disturbing. It's, it's, it messes up the status quo. And we're going to see that as, as we get into this. So that launches us right into the text. Let's read it. Verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, Many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So let's understand the difference here between Pharisees and Sadducees. So the, the, the Pharisees, they're more your legalistic, right? That's who Jesus battled throughout the Gospels. They were your legalistic. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in angels. They believed in... In the Word of God, they were just, they were missing Jesus. We learned that, and Jesus constantly rebuked them for it and was trying to explain that to them. Okay? But the Sadducees, they were more, they were religious leaders as well, but they were more of, like, they had this liberal belief. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a lot of the stuff that was in the Old Testament that they, they were supposed to know and be teaching. And so we see that, that in the gospel, the primary enemy of Jesus was the Pharisees, but now that Jesus is gone and he is resurrected, 
That's another thing that the Sadducees didn't believe in. They didn't believe in resurrection. So this is a big hang-up for them. And now that's why post-resurrection and ascension, the Sadducees are the primary enemy to these disciples and to the church, to Christians. And later on in Acts, it'll, they weren't called Christians at this time, but we'll get into that and see how, how that, that changes and, and that comes about. But um, that's, that's the difference we need, to, we need to understand as we're going through the Bible, the difference of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's important as we go through this, because um, you'll see what the, the main point of the gospel is not the cross. The cross is important and it had to happen and that was all good, but that, that, that's not what Christianity hinges, Christianity hinges on. It hinges on the resurrection of the dead and that he really died and rose from the grave, which makes everything else valid of the Bible. Right? So this, the, the resurrection is the hinging point of Christianity that is this foundation that can't be shaken. And these guys didn't believe in it. I think it's interesting, and this is, it probably makes sense to you guys, and I'm okay with it because it's the Word of God, but I'm thinking of this in verse 4 of it. It says, However, many of those who heard the Word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So 2,000 were added because we, we read prior in Acts how um, on the day of Pentecost how 3,000 souls were, came to Christ and were saved. And so another 2,000 were, which I'm just, where I'm saying it's confusing to me because I'm like, that's, should that, that shouldn't be right there. That should be when he's like telling the, the Sadducees like how they're wrong. Like, it seems like that's where that should be added. I'm not arguing with the Bible. I'm just saying it's, it's interesting that it's there, but that Luke chose to put that in there. But it's awesome because we see even in that, in that time of this, the persecution starting, you know, these, these Pharisees and Sadducees, they don't like it. And Jesus was just killed for all this stuff and guess what his his kingdom's still growing so today we think about that and we think about all the bad stuff going it's just getting worse and worse and worse and it has to get worse so that jesus can come back we get that but we shouldn't we shouldn't be discouraged because just the same way like jesus is like he is building his army he is saving people otherwise what are we doing we just talked about how that's that's we're a tool for god to to go out and tell people about him. Moving on to verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Cephas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been, healed, been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is pretty much the same firing squad that Jesus faced and was sentenced by. But check this out. like The Sadducees, it's interesting as we read that section, the Sadducees don't believe in miracles and healings and, and all these things. 
But right there in verse 7, they asked. What did they ask you guys? By what power or by what name have you done this? So like, I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in this as I'm studying. I'm just like, I would be thinking like, so do you guys, do you believe this stuff or don't you? Like pick a side. What, what are you doing? You're asking how this happened because they couldn't deny it. This guy was healed that we read about. But Peter boldly answers in verses eight through 10. And, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he just um, calls out to them and like, all the elders and all the all of Israel, and he says, you know, if if we're being judged for doing something good, you know, like show me, show me, show me where that's illegal. Show me where that's wrong. Where does it say in your guys's religion that you can't you can't do good good deeds and do good things? So why are we on trial for this? And then he goes on to say, you want to know you want to know the name, what name, who did this? He says, by Jesus. You guys don't miss this little I like this little detail here. He doesn't just say Jesus. Back then, Jesus was a common name. He's very specific and he says Jesus Christ of Nazareth, where he's from. He's being very specific. Jesus Christ. How many of you guys knew that Christ was Jesus' last name? It's incredible, isn't it? No, it's not his last name. Christ means Messiah. God. The Messiah that they were waiting for, right? I just laughed about that because I heard, I was studying this and I heard I heard a pastor say that, and I was like, not that I've ever thought of, what is Jesus' last name? Yeah, either way, but I just thought like, yeah, like, hey, Mr. Christ. <laughs> I guess it's his last name. You know, no, it's not. It just means Messiah. And he goes on to tell them, you know, like like we, we saw this prior, but he just goes on to explain, just so you know, we're not, yes, Jesus Christ, the same guy from Nazareth, but also don't forget, you know, remember the one that you crucified and the one that God raised from the dead? Yeah, that Jesus. The same Messiah you've been waiting for, that Jesus. Then Peter gives credit where credit is due. Okay? I got turned to verse 10. Yeah, verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And remember, Peter does the same thing in, um, in chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13. I'll read that to you real quick. Where, and what I'm talking about is where he, people are coming to them like, how did this happen? You know, and in chapter 3, they're even coming to him thinking it's him, and he's just giving credit to God and not taking any of it. So in chapter 3, in verse 12 and 13, it says, So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel 
at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined, Pilate was determined to let him go. And if you skip to verse 16 on chapter 3, it says, And his name through faith in his, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter is setting this example that we don't want to miss that this disruption, I'm sorry, this, this distribution center, you guys have heard probably Rory say when he's teaching, like we're just, we want to be distribution centers. Any praise that comes in or any things come in, like boom, it just goes right back out. It's just, it's God. We're just a distribution center. It doesn't stay in with us. And Peter is setting that example over and over and over through these, these sermons that he's given to the people in the temple. And now it's because he's under fire and um, in a court situation where these guys are trying to kill him. And he's just like, he's just setting this example, this example in and out. Distribution center. Take in Jesus, push it out. And it's by being filled with the Holy Spirit. We learned about that today in town of just this. When it, and when it speaks of it right here as well, it's speaking of it in the Greek of constantly, continually, continually being filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He's already, when you're saved, right? You get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. But we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit where it's constantly coming in and it's just filling us up and there's, it's got to come out. And that's what's happening right here. That distribution center. So he just simply says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God, this did this great miracle, this healing that you guys don't believe in. Then Jesus goes on to connect. Um, I'm sorry, Jesus. Peter goes on to connect Jesus to some Old Testament prophecies here in verse 11. And it says, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Okay, we get this, and Peter got this from Psalm 118, 22 through 23. I'll read it to you. It says, The stone which the builders rejected has come has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Okay. It, he also, it's a quote from Isaiah 28, 16, where it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. Listen to this part. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So why the cornerstone? I mean, what is, what's the cornerstone? The cornerstone of what? The cornerstone is the centerpiece of everything that God has done and is doing. And that's Jesus, right? He's the cornerstone of everything. He's the foundation. Yet you builders rejected him, Peter says. So here's a story that 
I heard this a long time ago, and um, it's popped in my mind here and there throughout reading the Bible, whatever. But um, as I was studying this week, um, it came up again, and, and it, you know, it goes with this. And so people say that it's, um, you know, it's a story or a legend. Who really knows? But it it applies. And so it, the story goes. The time of Solomon's temple being built, and um, when we went through the Olives Discourse, we talked about you know the amazing size of these stones that they, they put up there that was tore down that Jesus predicted and everything. So when they were building Solomon's temple, they, they didn't want to hear all the noise of hewning the stone, these big blocks that hammer and chisel and stuff. So they, they did it off-site at a quarry where, where they were getting the stone, and then they had a um, really awesome... Kenworth truck and a nice low boy and they loaded on there and then they hauled it up had to jake brakes and <laughs> shifting gears and they got it up there and then um they it was it was so perfectly built that they said scripture says that um no mortar or anything was needed they said that a knife blade wouldn't even fit between any of the cracks as they stacked it together it was like that precise and that awesome as they built it and so they're they're building away and the Kenmore shows up with a load of rocks and they go to work on it and one of the one of the stones doesn't fit and they try it everywhere and it doesn't fit and doesn't fit and so they say that you know they they set it aside they rejected it they cast it out some say that they rolled it off the hill and it rolled down to the bottom of Kindron Valley and everything and so then they continue to build the Solomon's temple and they get to the top the done they're to be done and and they're missing the top capstone the cornerstone and they're like, well, what's going on? You know, where's that? And, and somebody's like, oh, I, I remember. Remember that one that we, we rejected and we threw out? Yeah, let's go try that one. They go down and they get it and it just fits perfect. The finished temple, the perfect hinge point, the, or the strong point, the cornerstone, the cap. Just, um was the one that was rejected. So you guys smell what I'm stepping in here, that that we, that the same way that we just reject Jesus and we can cast him out, it's been done forever. And then like at the end, when things are finished, like, oh wait, <laughs> I do need the guy. I do need that stone. I do need that foundation to finish it. Yeah, so Jesus is the finished work, okay? And so that's, you know, it's just perfect timing here. It's, it's that way in the scripture, and that, that just gets us right into verse 12. And it says in verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, so remember the prophecy of, in Psalm 118, 23 and 22 and 23, where it was talking about this cornerstone, talking about Jesus. Well, if you back up one in verse 21, 118.21, it says, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Jesus, this cornerstone, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men 
by which we must be saved. Jesus and Jesus only. Joe can't save Joe. Cannot. Like we can just, we can find scripture all over that says that. And it's, it's a bummer that we get that wrong. Jesus is the law. He is the word. He is the truth, the way, the life. John fourteen six. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Still just blowing my mind. They're acknowledging that they'd been with Jesus. Like they're understanding that. I just I'm getting off of what I'm doing here, but like I'm just reading this. I'm like, gosh, you guys, what are, are you in or not? Like, why do you believe it, but you don't believe it? Anyways. So thinking about Peter here in his boldness, and we see that he, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit again in this time of persecution, you know. People say that Peter was bold prior to this. Well, he wasn't. You know, he was impetuous, meaning like he just, he would do things without thinking or without caring, but not bold. Think about it. He goes and he chops the guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And before that, you know, he's rebuking Jesus. Don't go. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. He actually calls him Satan then, which I could not imagine. I mean, my mom's called me Satan, but not Jesus. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, no. Um, so anyways, we just we just see that, like, he just he was just this guy, and I could relate with him. Like, he was just this guy that would just act without, without thought or care. It, it was not boldness. Because, and, and I can say that, because then think about how he cowered to a servant girl, didn't he? It's clear that he, that he didn't have this boldness. But now, there's a wise and holy boldness in him. A real boldness. And next, in that, in that, that uh, verse, they, it says that they perceived that they were uneducated. Now, they were not talking. They weren't, when we read that, we don't want to hear that they thought that they were illiterate or anything like that. You know, that, that they couldn't read. Um, that's not what they were saying. They were just shocked how Peter and John knew the scriptures and they weren't brought up in any seminary or by a rabbi. But they, like, as we're reading through this, right, like John and, and Peter, they're using scripture to show them. And as we're reading through it, it's a confusing part for me is like, they're like, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But they're not, they're just not, not going to submit to get it or to change the status quo of their lives for it. So then they realize that they'd been with Jesus. Now this is a good one, you guys. I think this is a good one. Knowing the word, the Bible, versus knowing the God of the word. Sarah just went cross-eyed. I'm going to explain. Now you can have both for sure. But think about the Pharisees, right? We just talked about how they were 
they knew the Bible, they, you know, it's by the law and all this stuff, but they didn't realize that Jesus was the law. So they knew the word, and that's great. But they didn't know the God of the word, did they? That was obvious. Jesus was constantly telling them, no, it's me, it's me, it's me. And they weren't getting it. So as we, as we think about how, how the, the disciples were, were changed in doing this, Peter went from having a sword and trying to fight for Jesus that way, and now he's just like lovingly fighting with, with God's word, letting God do the fighting, and he's, just, he's there as a vessel being used. So when we think of that, if we're, if we're snarling at people about this God thing... I don't like it when people say that was a God thing. <laughs> Everything's a God thing. Anyways, um, if we're snarling, like nobody says when we're out there, like, you know, trying to do this great commission, nobody says, oh, that guy's been with Jesus. Look how his veins are blown out of his head and he's screaming at everybody. Well, that guy's been with Jesus for sure. No, that's not how they were doing it at all. This is a, this is a whole nother way. And we could... I can see that in, in the growth the Lord has had me in when I, I just was uneducated and I would go to anger over it versus, and I probably still do, I guess I'll be careful with that, but I want to be at this point like them where it's, it's just this, this, this loving way. Another way that I've, I've personally experienced it myself growing up was that um, when someone's talking to you about Jesus while they're, they're snarling, like, I, I don't want nothing to do with this Jesus, if, if that's what it's like. I don't, that's, that's, that doesn't look like fun. You know, it's just, we just need to, like, Adam's sermon is, was great last week of just, by loving people. But right with it, right with it, it's like, being out there with the Great Commission. So that they know we're about Jesus and the business of God. So anyways, you can tell Peter's demeanor is totally, totally different than when he cut that guy's ear off. You know, he's filled with the Holy Spirit now. So you guys, as, as we're learning from this and we're thinking about this, you know, we need to be as gentle as doves for sure. And let Jesus and his word you know, run the sword and do the cutting. We just use his word. Verse 14 says, And seeing the man who had been standing, and you guys, like, this is the detail that God doesn't miss anything in his word is awesome. He could have just said, I seen the guy that was crippled, and now he's not. Standing. Proof. Right? It says right there. And seeing the man who had been standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that... It spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this, in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak 
at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now this is the fun part. And I'm talking about uh, playing around with Jesus' name. And hold this loosely when I say playing with Jesus' name. But just try this sometime, you guys. Like, So if you're in just a secular conversation, just like... Inject Jesus into the conversation, the name Jesus. And watch the people spit the bit. You can watch every single time. It might just be for a second. Like, I love it. It's hilarious. And I'm not laughing at them, like making fun of them. I'm just saying it's funny. Like, Jesus' name is powerful. It works. It reminds me of this uh, bowl sale that me and Rory went to and and um, we, a buddy of mine runs the sale and everything. And so we went the night before and um, there's they're just having a dinner and party or whatever, hanging out before and the, everybody that was coming in for the bull sale. And I had this sweatshirt is either Jesus is real or Jesus saves or whatever. Just, you know, like this big on it. Walk in there. And uh, it's like one of those, like, since you walk in, like the record player stops, you know. The same hiccup that I'm talking about, you could, maybe it was a little bit not as intense as I felt that it was, but you just like, oh, hey, Joe, and then go on, and we went about talking and everything. But it, it does that to people. We were talking about in a home group how, um, um, what did you say? You were saying, Michelle, Jesus, um, what he does to people at, um, oh, what's the word? You guys remember? Offends. Or, uh, was it offends? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it offends people. So Courtney was just telling me before I left, talking about um, some notes she had of, of like, people don't even realize it really offends them. But it was like, when you bring the light into the darkness, it, it reveals sin. And I'm not saying, like, when I walked in with a, a sweatshirt that said Jesus, or I dropped Jesus in the middle of a conversation, I'm not saying they're like, oh, I'm a sinner. But they don't, maybe don't know why, but that hiccup, that stop, is the light penetrating the darkness, is what that, what causes that. And so I... I think it's kind of fun, personally, to do that. I love it so much, like with my dad, especially like the cussing and stuff. Like I, I notice that a lot of people, they like you be hanging out talking, they're just cussing like sailors, and pretty soon you say, "Oh, praise God" or something like that, and they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, darn it!" <laughs> you know, you just you see them start like these cuss words hit the back of their teeth, and they're like, "I mean, Joe's here, uh, shucks," you know. My dad does it all the time. It's hilarious. I get around him and you can see the cuss words hit the back of his teeth all the time. But praise God though, you know, maybe that's a start to something. You know, that's, that's good. The name of Jesus, you guys, it disturbs people. We just read in the start of this chapter how it disturbed the Sadducees, right? And so what I love about that, and as we laugh and we talk about that, and but you guys, it's just a little blip of that we get to see the power in just saying Jesus. You can't deny the power in, in his name because of that. Why else would it trip people up like that? Besides the fact they're like, oh God, Jesus conversation about to break out. You know, like probably worried about that too. But there's still, it's just, we get to see the power. It makes it tangible for us. Verse 19. <clears throat> um... Yeah, I'll finish up here, you guys. We'll just go to 22. But anyways, verse 19. Um, but Peter and John answered and said to them, 
Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. I love that. He just shoves it right back in their face. Oh, yeah? <coughs> what should I do? Listen to you or God? These are people that claim to believe in God. Like catching them in their own snare, right? For we cannot but speak the things of which, I'm sorry, which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They cannot not do it. That's what it's like being filled with the Holy Spirit. You get to this point. Now, so you get to this point, and I understand there's different starts. Like you start this life for Christ, and there's just, like there's a growing. You grow until we are with Christ. So I understand there's a starting period, and then obviously the finish, the finish line is with Jesus. So, you know, starting out, you can't just like throw somebody to the wolves and say, you need to be out doing what Peter did. Like Peter walked with Jesus, right? We can have some grace there. But we do just see that, that we can trust the boldness of the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit lives in us and we're asking the Lord to just fill us up so that it overflows and is spewing out, the power of the creator of the world is going to come out of us. When we are going to love people well for Christ and, and we believe in this great commission, it's going to come out. Do we want that to come out of us? Does it come out of us now? If it doesn't, why? Why doesn't it, Lord? Run to the Lord. He, he'll meet you there and he will show you. He wants that to flow out. He wants to flow out of us. That's, that's why he made us. So how do we... Dustin, you can come up if you want, if you need to get ready or anything. Yeah. But how do we, how do we wrap this up? How do, we, how do we put it all together when we started this out by... An amazing way to start out a sermon, I'm sure, of like, you guys need to be persecuted. Get out there. But how, how do we tie this up? How do, we, how do we wrap it up together? Their persecution, what did it do? It set a stage and a platform for them to get on and to preach the gospel. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to live for me, you're going to go through this stuff. That's how, that's how we wrap this up and tie it together. That, that's why. And Peter was this perfect example of that. Peter and John both. And, we, and we'll read on it, that more of them go on to do it. So I guess if I can leave you with something, you're going to be shocked that I say this to you. Go get in trouble for Jesus. Amen.